He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one news talk show at, at in the evening. And we this is a TriCast. We're on WABC uh, 770 on your dial, uh, and also broadcasting WLIR in Long Island and uh, 970 AM, The Answer. And we're loaded. We're loaded in the studio today. We have two common-sense Democrats and two common-sense Republicans, and I gave them the boxing gloves already. Uh, <laughs> on the Democratic end, we have... Uh, ding, 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 ding. Uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg and Governor <laughs> and, and Governor David Patterson on the Republican end. Should we make a wrestling match? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ed Cox and uh, former uh, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington. And we have a great show today, uh, Lydia, right? Absolutely. We'll be speaking to uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, Andrew Ridgey of the New York City. By the way, there's going to be a shortage of insulin. Two, right. well, you don't meet Mark Siegel if you're a diabetic. Don't miss him. You'll be on at the end of the show. Andrew Ridgey, he is the executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance. Like you've been saying, John, we want to get the tourists back to New York City. We'll also be talking to Charlie Gasparino. There's some breaking news on that front regarding the markets. We'll also be talking to Gordon Chang. But first... And on the line with us right now is investigative reporter extraordinaire of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. John Solomon. John Solomon, you always have the latest breaking news. What's going on? Well, the final day of this year's or this session, Supreme Court came to uh, an end with a big bang, a series of historic rulings today uh, that uh, really reshaped the power of the unelected bureaucrat, the administrative state. I think Donald Trump called them the deep state. But in a case called West Virginia versus EPA, the Supreme Court, infused with those three new justices that Donald Trump appointed to the court, said that bureaucrats can't make law where Congress didn't make the law, that they can't assume uh, the powers of Congress and decide, like they did in the EPA, that they wanted to get rid of the coal industry in West Virginia, and they just made up rules and regulations to do so that didn't flow from any law or legal authority. This is a shockwave that not only is going to affect EPA or, or the climate change agencies, every administrative agency that right now may be trying to make law under Joe Biden is going to read this and say, hey, this court is going to be hostile if we keep on this path. Right now, there's a big effort at the Securities and Exchange Commission to do this ESG investing rules. There's no legal authority in, from Congress to do it. Those sort of things are going to be informed and affected by the magnitude of this ruling. So we get this big ruling, and then the court says, you know, before we go and start our summer solstice, we're going to give you one other little surprise. Next session, we're going to take on one of the most important election cases in the last half century. The Supreme Court accepted a case from the North Carolina Republican legislature that will define whether the Constitution really did give legislatures sole authorities to set the, uh, the rules for elections. If they did, it means governors and election bureaucrats, like they did in 2020, can't make up roles that the legislature hasn't already uh, bestowed upon them. That could have a profound effect on the 2024 election. So a very big day in the marble building that is the Supreme Court. So it would be similar to the fact that they ruled in uh, New York State, uh, uh, on the uh, New York State ruled that uh, uh, illegal uh, or non right. non citizens cannot vote in local elections. Correct. I, I mean, if they voted for federal elections, then it's even worse. 
Right, because it violated the state's constitution. You are seeing a reining in of a lot of these ideas that liberal activists have tried to get through the administrative state, through the bureaucrats. And uh, we're finding out now that the rule of law still exists in America, that the constitutions are actually looked at and the powers have decided. I think this court particularly finished its term with a very strong, resounding rejection of elitists um, and uh, of administrative bureaucrats, whether it's stopping someone from praying on the 50-yard line of a, 50, uh, of a high school football field or uh, an EPA trying to wipe out an entire industry because it wanted to. Uh, you're seeing at least the Supreme Court in Washington say you can't usurp power that the Constitution didn't give you. And on top of that, in New York State, where there's all Democrats, uh, all the Democrats in the uh, Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals and the uh, and even the higher court in New York uh, didn't act as the Democratic Party wanted them to act. They acted uh, with the... Uh, uh, with the art of the law, whatever the law said, That's right. whatever the Constitution said, they followed it instead of, of trying to do whatever the, the Democratic Party wanted them to do. Yeah, not legislating from the bench, actually uh, ruling in, in accordance with the laws on the books. I think that's what our founding fathers intended. There's been a lot of victories on that front the last few days. Uh, people watching the courts say that this is one of the more historic moments not only for the Supreme Court, but the New York Supreme Court and other, other cases, you're seeing people actually go back and say the law matters. And the other thing with election integrity, uh, and that's I have a problem with, where uh, the way they, I, I forget how they, they beat that guy, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, congressman in, in Virginia that was going to be very high up on the totem pole, where they right? shipped in like um, 200 buses Eric into Virginia. Yes. Eric Cantor. Yeah. Eric Cantor yeah. was beat because they shipped in hundreds of buses mm-hmm. for same-day registration. Right. They shipped them in, yeah. they voted, and they left. I mean, this is not what America is all about. Yeah, that's exactly right. Listen, there's a case that is ancillary to the North Carolina case. It's almost certainly going to be brought up and included in the case. It involves Kansas, where... Uh, a outside firm, I think from Colorado, was whipping up votes, uh, in, in some cases registering people's dogs and Mickey Mouse and other things, and uh, actually put a whole bunch of people onto the voter rolls that never should have gotten onto the voter rolls. Um, that sort of activity, which was authorized by bureaucrats, not by the legislature, is likely to be evaluated as part of this North Carolina case. Who is in control of the 2024 elections and how they'll be conducted? is likely to be largely impacted by the North Carolina case that was picked today. Uh, very important thing. A lot, of, a lot of court watchers saying that is an earthquake in the legal circles of America. Now, that other rule that, that the Supreme Court voted on uh, today, on Thursday, uh, is the fact that uh, uh, taking away Trump's... Uh, remain in Mexico. Re- yeah, remain in Mexico rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so this didn't surprise uh, a lot of people. Yeah, is this the Supreme Court saying, come on in, along with the, uh, President Biden? It's actually a little bit different. I think what the court was asked to rule on here is, does Joe Biden have the ability to reverse an executive order that his predecessor did? And so the courts had ruled that Joe Biden couldn't reverse uh, Donald Trump's remain in Mexico policy. What the court said is, listen, if something's done by executive fiat, it can be undone by executive fiat. If this had been done by Congress... 
then it would be a different story, and uh, uh, the president would have to get Congress to undo it. So I don't think that I know a lot of people are saying, well, this is going to open up the flood of the border. It's actually not because Joe Biden hasn't been enforcing remain in Mexico for the last year anyways. But it's, a lot of people weren't surprised by this ruling because of the fact that this is uh, all Joe Biden is saying, I have the power to reverse an executive order that somebody else did. And the court said, yeah, we generally agree with you. The bigger message to Joe Biden today comes out of that EPA case where they've been told now you can't impose a climate change legislation when the Congress doesn't pass it. You can't do it with your bureaucrats. And that is going to be uh, consequential for a long time to come. Now, the other thing that they're doing, uh, somebody who, who in the federal government is it the SEC putting their fingers down on the major banks not yes. to lend to, to, to fossil fuel companies. That's right. The ESG movement. Yep, that's uh, that's the one that I think is most profoundly affected by. The is EPA this affected? Do we have to bring a separate uh, suit on that, or is this going to be affected with the EPA thing? There are already lawsuits already suing to block several attorneys generals and private groups have already sued on these ESG rules. Uh, what will happen is those will be informed by the language and the sentiments and the conclusions of this EPA case. It's going to make it easier to get through the courts quicker because of the fact that the court just today said, listen, any administrative rule that's made up that isn't derived from the authorities in the legislation, you can't make up laws in the administrative bureaucracy. So there are going to be several more challenges, but they're all going to be informed by this ruling. And when there's a ruling of this magnitude, it often speeds up challenges. Instead of these other cases being five, six, seven years in the making, they might get settled in the next year. That's why this ruling is so consequential. John Solomon, thank you so much for uh, coming on. You always deliver the uh, news, and uh, you do it you know, correctly. And thank you, and have a great 4th of July. You as well. Happy 246th uh, birthday to America. What a great weekend it will be. Happy birthday. What a great interview, John Solomon. Now we're going to go to the Far East. Well, not literally, but we're going to talk to an expert on it, Gordon Chang. He is an author as well as a Middle East and Far East scholar, a senior scholar at the Gatestone Institute. Gordon G. Chang, if you want to look him up on Twitter, Gordon Chang. So we're finding out what we've already kind of known, that TikTok which is originated in China, they're stealing American information. If you download it to our phones, I guess I made the right decision when I decided not to put TikTok on my phone. You certainly made the right decision, Lydia. And it's not just that China has been taking user data uh, surreptitiously. They've been lying about it. They've been consistently telling Congress and the American public that uh, parties in China do not have access to TikTok data. But you're also right that this is something that we've suspected all along because TikTok USA is owned by Daoyun. Daoyun is a private Chinese company, um, which means that it is subject to all of China's laws and to the Communist Party's dictates. And we know that the Communist Party has been trying to take data from the United States, and they've been doing that through TikTok and lying about it. And now the U.S. Google and Apple, they said, remove TikTok from their app store. That's This is finally now the FCC commissioner is saying to do this. But is it too little too late? Well, it is certainly too late. Um, you know, I think it's a good move. Brendan Carr, the FCC commissioner, uh, writing, as you say, to both Apple and Google. I don't know if they're going to actually do that. But the point is that it 
um, I imagine that when you have a Republican president, they're probably going to go after um, TikTok as President Trump did, because Trump tried to have it banned. Um, if you don't ban it, at least you can force the sale to an American company, which is really what needs to be done here. Rudy Washington. So uh, President Trump was right again. huh? <laughs> um, President Trump on this was certainly 100 percent right. And Biden was 100 percent wrong because Biden, one of the first things that he did, his Justice Department went, I think it was to the Ninth Circuit and dropped the case that the Trump uh, administration. I wonder what happened to TikTok. that case. And what about the, what is it, Mawa? Am I pronouncing it correct? Um, the phone company? Uh, I, I, yeah, they had the executive locked up in Canada. Uh, is she out? Yeah, um, that was Meng um, Wang Zhou. Uh, she is the daughter of the founder of Huawei, and she was at the time a chief, a chief financial officer. Now she's rotating chief executive officer. And the Trump administration, to its credit, um, in December 2019, I believe, um, maybe 2018, um, asked her, uh, asked the Canadian authorities to um, hold her pending an extradition request from the United States. Huawei, under her tenure, was clearly violating U.S. sanctions. They were trying to cover their tracks. And unfortunately, um, the Biden administration um, dropped uh, the uh, extradition request. Again, this is reversing something that Trump did, which was absolutely critical for us. And, and not only that, one of the other things that really bothered me is that and, and none of our elected officials, Republicans or Democrats, talk about it, is um, <clears throat> the fentanyl explosion uh, into America. Last week, we, or this week, we had 150,000 fentanyl pills confiscated down at the border, only to find out a day later, the, the people who had it were released on their own reconnaissance. I can't. You can, and you, that, that amount of fentanyl could kill millions of people. Millions. Do you know, I know of at least, you know, not thank God, not directly, but two people by association that they know of young people that thought they were taking like half a Xanax or a pill or something ecstasy that they, you know, they buy this off of social media and overdosed. They die in their sleep. I mean, they are killing young Americans. And it's really scary. Like John Katzmatidi says, Gordon Chang, do you really? I mean, I feel like we are under attack. We are. And uh, came out yesterday that if we had to man up an army between the ages of 18 and 24, we would only have 23 percent of the population of America to draw from because so many uh, you know, have a drug problem, been a, got bad criminal records, obesity. I mean, we're in a bad way, and I think we're under attack, uh, and nobody's addressing the issue. John Sun Tzu. Well, the, the, the art of war invented in China 2,000 years ago, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu, yeah. And I had General uh, McNerney, Lieutenant General in the Air Force, retired now, and he says, we're in World War Three right now, and we don't realize it. Don't forget, our borders are under attack. Uh, they, they're feeding our uh, our uh, children and our adults fentanyl. Uh, the virus, we really don't know if that was intentional or not intentional. But it was intentional right. that that they did tell us that they stopped shipping it, those airplanes, uh, those people to China, but they kept them coming to New York and, and, and Italy. That's right. Our attack on our education system, our legal system, uh, our, 
Ed Cox. Ed Cox is in these. The, Are we under World War Three right now? The interesting question for Gordon uh, is you wrote a book, The Coming Collapse of China. How does that feed in to the World War Three idea? Well, I wrote a book in 2001 saying the Communist Party would collapse in 10 years, so I'm obviously wrong. Um, but right now, China is in, um, I think, a grim situation. And we can see this from Chinese propaganda and what they're doing. And the thing that I'm concerned about is that China will lash out uh, at neighbors or at the United States. And as John just said, um, China, we don't know the, the uh, origin of SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes COVID-19, but we do know that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, took decisions to deliberately spread it beyond its borders once that disease got out into the Chinese population. They lied about contagiousness. They told the world that it was, and they told American officials not to do anything. And Dr. Fauci says it wasn't contagious. They said you couldn't spread it human to human transmission. That was the big thing right there. That's right. The the Chinese head of this of their CDC told our CDC uh, uh, chairman or director uh, uh, Redfield on January three of twenty twenty that SARS CoV two was not contagious. And this was in this was consistent with a number of things that Chinese officials told our officials about the transmissibility of this disease. And with regard to fentanyl uh, that you were just talking about, these fentanyl gangs, Chinese fentanyl gangs, are large and well organized. They use the Chinese state banking system. In a near total surveillance state, the Chinese government and the Communist Party knows what's going on, and they want Americans to overdose from fentanyl. And to Lydia's point about uh, kids taking Xanax or ecstasy, these days the fentanyl deaths are increasingly fentanyl mixed with cocaine and methamphetamine. So people don't know what they're doing um, because this stuff often comes – they don't know that they're taking fentanyl. And fentanyl, even in very small doses, is fatal. Dr. Chang, uh, Dr. Chang, see, I'm, I promote I think he does you. have a PhD. Are you a PhD yet? No, I oh. don't have a PhD. Um, I would love to be a doctor, and thank you for awarding, awarding <laughs> I me. Thought we, we will make you an honorary doctor at WABC. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, we have to take a break, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. But thank you for telling the truth to the American people. God bless you. Uh, and have a great Fourth of July, and God bless America. Thank you. Thank you, John, and thank you for everybody. Thank you. Now, we're going to have some breaking news uh, right after the break with Charlie Gasparino. We have our lowest, what is it, GDP? The lowest S&P in 50 years uh, for the first six months of the year. What does that mean? Let's take the break, and we'll be right back. Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Breaking news, WABC. S&P 500 posts a worst first half since 1970. The Nasdaq falls more than 1% to end the quarter. We're about, we're on the brink possibly of a recession bringing us in right now to tell us more about what the heck is going on with the markets Charlie Gasparino, is there any hope in the future, but things are not looking good? Well, no, I don't think there is. And I think it's, a, you know, it's obviously that very heavy hand of the Fed raising interest rates is going to slow stuff down. And, you know, the fiscal policy is a mess. I mean, there is literally no uh, there is no stimulus in this fiscal policy. It's all about taxes and, you know, that they, they 
he would like to Biden would like to spend more, but you know that's not going to happen. Uh, he would also like to tax more. Uh, that might happen. Uh, there's already high taxes and high regulatory burden in the system, so I think you know they're setting themselves up to just to get screwed here. I mean, it's just there's no way out of it unless Joe Biden, when he as soon as he for the last three years has sounded more like Bernie Sanders than even Barack Obama. <laughs> he's been incredibly socialist over the last three years in terms of what he's called for, in terms of government spending and things of that nature. He would have to literally do a 180 and start emulating our friends Larry Kudlow and Art Laffer to, uh, to, change, to change the trajectory of the economy from going down. But it's going down. Governor There's Patterson? No so, Charlie, 52 years ago, which was the last time the S&P 500 performed even worse than it did in this right. last six months, President Nixon, very uh, – it was very unique. What he did it, it, within the next year was to change the exchange rate, and that really put the economy back on course. I can't, I can't believe you think the 70s economy went back on course. We had massive stagflation. We had uh, we had an oil, we had an oil crisis, obviously, but we we had a lot of problems in no, this we, country that that was spurred by a lot of the actions that Nixon took, um, and and the Federal Reserve. It was a guy named Arthur Burns that that ran the show back then. I mean, we did not have a stable dollar back then, and I think the 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 problem is with with I mean, we are obviously in a different situation now, uh, but you literally have restrictive fiscal and monetary policy staring you in the face. We should point out that even when Obama, coming out of the financial crisis, had massive stimulus from the Federal Reserve, and he act, we actually had some stimulus in fiscal policy, the economy still ran pretty slow. One of the reasons why is because he ramped up regulations. He also tried to raise taxes a gazillion times and ultimately did. Um, that is a problem for businesses. And I'm telling you, you can't escape it. If you're going to increase regulation, you're going to do stuff that constrains supply while the Fed is doing is in, enacting monetary policy that also that constrains demand. Well, then you're going to have an issue. I mean, it's it's a bad issue. It's, you have a bad problem here. I got a lot of smart guys in this room, so maybe one of you guys can answer this question. When has it ever happened that you put more taxes on people and that actually helps the economy? Now we're talking about congestion pricing coming to Midtown Manhattan uh, by the end of 2023. They're talking about more taxes. Biden admits that we're going to have to tax our way out of this recession. I mean, has it ever happened in history that the more taxes you pay, the better it is for the economy? Has that ever happened? I'll start it off with Charlie. I don't know what do you, how you tax your way out of a recession unless you want to cut taxes. Uh, I mean, it's such a stupid thing to say, but. He also got Sweden mixed up with Switzerland today, but, but you know, <laughs> you know and that, by the way, that's not the worst of it. I mean, I can you can almost see how we can screw that one up. Not that they're geographically aligned, but you know, they have S's in the names, S and W's in the name. <laughs> but um, you know, I think the only time you can kind of make that case was what Bill Clinton did in the 1990s, where. You know, he had Bob Rubin. I mean, different economic scenarios. He raised taxes. He put all the the, the revenue went mostly for um, for, for budget uh, reduction um, or deficit reduction. Um, he also cut back on military spending and things of that nature. Um, and then within a couple of years, we did have a, 
a, um, a obviously a, a robust economy. Um, now he would say his tax policies help that. Others would say, well, actually, it slowed it down. We were in a improving economy in George Bush's last in the last uh, year of his administration. It was slow moving, but it was it wasn't a recession, and the the tax the tax increases, the Clinton tax increases, slowed things down. And you only got bailed out later on when we had a Republican Congress. You had an internet bubble, and of course, you started you 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 basically became a Republican on fiscal policy. At least Clinton did by cutting capital gains tax. So, I mean. I'm trying to be fair. That was that's the last time I you can make a case. I don't Charlie know. Ed Cox Ed, Ed, Ed Cox here bringing yeah, it up to date. Here's the big question: The Atlanta Fed just came out and said uh, we're now got two quarters uh, of uh, of uh, economy that's not growing. That's a recession. Are we in a recession or not? Uh, you know, it, you're usually the numbers usually catch up later. So. We probably are. <laughs> you know, I got news like, for you like, guys. You know, you know when they, the official numbers that, say it's two quarters, and you know they they revise stuff, and then you find out later. I mean, I think we are because everything everybody's cutting back on stuff. Hey, Charlie, this is Rudy Washington, and I'm laughing with Ed here because um, what Wall Street calls a recession, Middle America calls a depression. Yeah. Uh, a recession's when it's next door. <laughs> when it happens at your house, exactly. you call that a depression. <laughs> Uh, that's true. Uh, I, I mean, if you think about it, inflation really is a tax increase on the working class in middle America, right, for average people. Yeah, it's going to stop housing. Right. Sure. So so if you got that, you know, those people are cutting back consumption because they don't have any money. Charlie, it's it's Richard Weinberg. Let me ask you this question. In the Wall Street Journal today, there was an op-ed piece and talked about the, the cost of taking care of the national debt. Because of the increased rates. Could you comment to the audience about that? Well, you know, if you raise interest rates, if long bonds sell off, then your your interest rates are going to go – your interest costs are going to go higher. Although what's what's going on right now is that the, the bond the, – the long bond is, is not – is is not gone through the roof. It's it's pricing in a recession. So what you have is, you know, marginally lower interest rates over the last – I would say I've been tracking them like every day. So the last month I would say. Um, now that isn't reflected yet in, in the in the in the interest rates that you're charging in housing, but at some point it's going to be. Um, so remember, that's what's kind of going on now. But they're right. Um, you raise interest rates, you're going to get you're going to get uh, you know you're going to get deficits. If you have a recession, you're going to get deficits by the very nature of of a recession. You have an economic slowdown to maintain unless you start cutting the size of the budget. Which could lead to even more economic slowdown, a greater economic slowdown. You're going to have to pay higher interest on your debt. Uh, it's just because you're going to have to issue more of it. So that's the kind of that's kind of what's going on here, and that's why what what Laffer and uh, and Steve Moore wrote today was so important. You can't forget the supply side of the economy. You can raise rates. And you can you can do free market stuff like cutting back on regulations, drilling for oil, doing stuff, unleashing capitalism that could help sort of smooth this thing out. So, Charlie Edcox, so you we've got uh, higher interest rates, we've got inflation and we've got a recession. So what's the good news? There is none. You know. Just so you know, if you had a Keynesian on here, is two years away. If, if I'm pretty sure that if you had Paul Krugman on here or somebody, you know, Jared Bernstein or someone, they would 
tear me apart. They're they're economists. I'm just a journalist who covers the economy. Um, but I, I just like the empirical evidence that that you know higher regulations and and, and higher taxes actually improve the economy long term. Yeah, but Klugman is is noted for his prediction that with Biden as president, we're going to have a booming economy. How did that work out? Who Boom is in a, an explosion. Well, explosion. Yeah, it's definitely an explosion. Biden today was he was saying it's Russia, Russia, Russia's fault that we have high gas prices, high food prices, everything. I mean, and the answer is simple, John. You've been saying it from the first day when he his first executive order and he canceled that XL pipeline. Well, you called this. It was the attack on the on the oil business of North America, and we went from thirteen point one million barrels a day down to 11.1 million barrels a day. Now, 2 million barrels off, set off a, a, a domino effect on the oil industry. And, and, John, can you just quickly explain to people, because when he says turn on the spigots, we're not saying, okay, the oil's going to come gushing out, liquid gold, but it sends a message, right? It sends a message to everyone, to the markets, to bring the prices down, correct? Absolutely. And, uh, it's connect- priced in the futures market. Yes. Right, so that's why it's when they have hope that there's going to be more production. We can produce 15 million barrels in the United States, and Canada could go from 4.6 million barrels to 5.6 million barrels. If that happens, the oil will come down to at least 75 dollars a barrel. You know, Joe Biden looks so angry every time you see him. I mean, he looks like he's he's just you know teed off. That you know, but he's a failure. Um, yeah, I mean, and I just don't think he knows what's coming at him. It's going to be a lot more failures. I mean, this is just the beginning for, of his demise if, as a politician. Yeah, what about our country's demise for the next two and a half years? Name one thing Joe Biden has done you know, good for this country. You, know, you get what you pay for. At some point, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta get rid of moral hat. Moral hazard is the notion that there's no consequence to risk taking and bad decisions. Uh, that you get bailed out or whatever. It's an economics term. You know, the moral hazard here is established that you just think because if you're going to if you're going to uh, elect a guy who hides in his basement and, and says stupid things, which he said a lot of dumb things during the campaign. Uh, I know it was a, it was a race sometimes between him and Trump saying crazy stuff, but Trump just said stuff that was crazy. His policies weren't crazy. Joe Biden actually embraced crazy policies, all Bernie Sanders stuff. Green New Deal, put the oil companies out of business. I mean, we can go down the list. If you're going to vote for something like that, you deserve this. Now, does that mean I'm some some sort of sadist? I want to see people suffer. Of course not. But, you know, that's how this works. You know, you, you vote for something this crazy. You get the you get the um, the uh, the result. You learn from the result, which is harsh. And then you elect different people. And I think, you know, we were at that dinner, John, last night with Kudlow and everybody. And, you know, Larry made a good point. I mean, run on common sense. If you run on common sense, and I think maybe that's what people need to hear, more common sense. It's not about being a Democrat, not about being a Republican. It's being an American and And being loyal to them and common sense. Be loyal to America, to to the United States, and have some common sense, and, and we will prevail. I mean, we had a okay. You know, we had a. There's, there was obviously a problem in Minneapolis. We could use more police training to handle that and to weed out bad Absolutely. cops. 
Okay, that doesn't mean you defund the police. That lacks common sense. Yet the Democratic That's Party. That's part of the art. Just the art of what do you call like it? Crazy. The art of war. The art of war. Sun the Tzu. art of war. Sun Tzu. Yeah. Thank I mean, you, Charlie Gasparino, and we'll be catching up with you again real soon. And my pleasure, uh, have a great Fourth of July. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Keep it right here. And Cats and Night, we're going to be talking about how we're going to get New York back. Well, it's open, but we got to get the tourists all back. Dr. Mark Siegel also has some breaking news information on the medical front. And we'll be talking about uh, what happened in the Supreme Court today among the people in this office. Absolutely. In the studio. Keep it right here. Cats at Night. John Cats and the Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. Now we have on the line for us Andrew Ridgie. He's the executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance. Ridgie, I mean Andrew, excuse me. We're we're trying to answer this question because we we want them back. The summer is here. How do we get 66 million tourists back to New York City? We to get the hotel industry booming again. Restaurants they seem to be doing pretty well, but we need these tourists back to New York City because they have to have a safe city to come back to. Absolutely. You know, one of the biggest things that we need to make sure is that we have a safe city and we have a clean city. And that's not just talking about international visitors. You know, people in the tri-state that are going to come into the city, they watch local news. They read the local papers. So if they keep hearing and seeing about all these different challenges in crime, that's going to hurt it. So we need to be telling everyone all the great stories about the amazing restaurants, about our nightlife, about our museums, and really be out there telling a positive story to help combat the challenges that we face. We need to frankly get them out under control. Right. A woman, uh, what, how, 20 years old, pushing a baby stroller on 95th and well, Lexington. That's not helping bring tourism. Well, back. it's one block away from it's where uh, David, Governor Patterson lives. I was actually outside at that time. I didn't hear the gunshot. It she was, was a little frightening to know I was a block away from that. She's a, she was a targeted victim, but yeah. still, like, well, but that's so horrific. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it awful that we say, well, thank God it was a domestic violence situation. It wasn't a random shooting. That's what we've come to. That is what we've come to, Your Honor, and, and, and it's a shame because it really is hurting the uh, perception of the city. It was clear that the, the perpetrator ran up from behind her, shot her at close range, kept running. Um, if he runs toward her, she screams because she knows who it is. Apparently, she'd had domestic violence uh, from the uh, perpetrator that they're looking for in the past. But still, it hurts the overall image of the city for such an absolutely tragic situation to happen absolutely it does and that's why we need to be out there as new yorkers and out there telling a story about all of the positive things that are happening but you're right people need to feel safe people's perception is their reality and we need to be doing and continue to do a better job to make sure that when people come and visit here or live here or work here that they also feel safe and are safe because that's going to add to the recovery i mean listen we're People are coming back. You know, you walk around the street, you hear people speaking different languages from different countries. Business travel is a big thing, especially with remote work now. How are we going to get business travelers back? And we need people to come here. We need affordable convention space. We need to be an affordable city. We need to be a safe city. And we have so many, you know, strong underlying things. Like I said, our restaurants, our nightlife, our culture all these different neighborhoods, you know, there's things you can get in New York City that you can't get anywhere else. We don't have just one downtown area like a lot of other places have. We have so many different neighborhoods. I mean, go to, you know, 
Arthur Avenue in the Bronx, go to the Botanical Gardens, the museum, go out for great food in Jackson Heights, go to Midtown Manhattan. You know, we have the underlying strengths, but again, it's the narrative that we need to control and we also need to project that we are safe, that we are clean, and that people should come here and enjoy it. And when they leave, they need to go tell other people that they were safe, that it was clean, what's and that the they percentage, had the greatest food out what's there. What's the percentage of the hotel occupancy right now? Uh, so it's changing. So some places, some places are getting back to almost um, you know pre-pandemic. I think one of the biggest concerns with the hotel occupancy and restaurant reservations is, you know, how these things change. We started booking, you know, right towards the end of last year, the holiday season, then Omicron hit and everything dropped off. And while occupancy rate may be back up, there's also a whole bunch of hotel rooms that haven't even come back online. So that's another challenge as well is how do we get every place back open? Uh, that had shuttered during the pandemic. Are you just reflecting Manhattan numbers, or do those include the five boroughs? Uh, no, that I believe that includes the five boroughs as well. Um, Andrew Ridgey, just I know Judge uh, Judge Weinberg has a question for you as well. But when we talk about cleaning up the city, there's so many homeless people now, right? We see all this garbage. I'm seeing so much graffiti in the Bronx, especially. It's horrible. And I'm from the Bronx. There are some beautiful places there, not just the Bronx Zoo, the Botanical Gardens, Arthur Avenue, you name it. I mean, people think of New York City. They just think Manhattan. But you're seeing it in Queens. Like, what can like our officials need to do something? We need to get the sanitation department out there, because if we don't take pride in our own neighborhoods, how do we expect other people to want to come here and visit and enjoy it as well? Yeah, no, listen, that's true. I mean, my expertise isn't on all that, but what I can tell you is that we need all of these things, like you said, to happen. We need to be clean. We need to paint over the graffiti. We need to get rid of it. You know, even someone was saying to me the other day about how there's graffiti on some of their outdoor dining, and we're talking about jobs. Let's hire some young kids to come out, give them some summer jobs, help them be part of cleaning the city, taking care of the city, and having a civic interest in the city, because you're right, it's not just Manhattan. We have so many different neighborhoods. And mind you, so many of the people that are working in the city's restaurant industry, in the hotel industry, they don't live in Manhattan. They live in another borough, and they may be traveling in to the city. So we need our midtown businesses to do well, and we also need those people to feel safe and be safe when they're going home late at night on the train, taking a bus. It's Richard Weinberg. I'll tell you what concerns me a great deal is this proposal for congestion pricing. In my mm-hmm. mind, I think that's going to have a negative impact on people being able to afford to come in, and it's going to cause problems, particularly in the in the theater district and the cultural institutions. What do you say? And we're still struggling to get people back into the office buildings as well. Yeah, listen, this is going to be uh, you know a, a difficult issue. I think we're going to have to see how it's going to impact if they end up really implementing it. People coming in, you know, we've heard from other people that they're going to just park above the congestion zone so they don't have to pay it, which could impact other neighborhoods on the Upper East Side, Upper West Side, you know, in other neighborhoods because people are going to drive in. And again, we need to work around if people if they're trying to encourage more people to come into Grand Central, go into, uh, you know, Penn Station. We need to make sure that those places, again, are clean, that they're safe. What is people's experience when they come into the city, whether it's coming in the train, whether it's coming in, driving in because everything's expensive. I mean, that's the other challenge as well. You know, inflation right now, I hear from some restaurateurs, 
even though sales are inching back to where they were before the pandemic, they are back top line. My so my son went to labor, a, everything skyrocket. My son went to a store. Uh, I won't name, mention the name of it. It wasn't mine. It wasn't Gristini's. It wasn't D'Agostino. In Southampton, picked up a porterhouse steak, and they, they it was $119. He put it back. Wow. Yeah. yeah, no, listen, that's true. And the thing about restaurant meals and everything is even different than if you're going to the grocery store. You know, you know, sneakers, you need a new pair of sneakers. You're not going to make your own sneakers. You're going to go to uh, a shoe shop. If food gets too expensive at restaurants, yes. you don't have to go out as much. You know, it's one of those things that's a luxury for people. And people also order different. A couple goes out. They don't order a bottle of wine. They each order, you know, a glass instead of each and, getting an Andrew, we're out of time. Andrew Ritchie, thank you so much. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks, everyone. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. Now, amongst ourselves, uh, these uh, ruling in the Supreme Court today, uh, I'm going to go first to Judge Weinberg because you're a judge. How do you read it? Which one do you want to talk about? Well, I think the important one is the one where the uh, administrators are making up laws on their own. Okay, mm-hmm. that, was, that was a decision involving West Virginia where the EPA, literally because of their regulations, were going to shut down the coal industry in West Virginia. The United States Supreme Court correctly decided that rulemaking is not legislation. Only the Congress can make the legislation. They set it aside. It was a right decision. It has enormous presidential impact because you have these regulatory agencies that have been overreaching. They've been saying public policy by administrative rules. And and, and it's a big deal. And Cox, which agency is putting their finger on the banks and telling the banks, don't lend lend any money to the American oil companies? The Securities Exchange Commission. The SEC. They're supposed to be about disclosure, not about imposing those kinds of rules on the business community. So could this ruling affect the SEC or how they're operating? Could it actually yes, help? Yes, I think so. yes. You think so? Yes, you know, Judge, Go ahead. What, uh, I, what I find so... Mr. Washington. Yeah. He's actually related to George Washington. Yes. Remember, remember to treat tan. me that way now. The dark side of the family. <laughs> I love but Judge. Mr. Deputy Mayor. Yes. yes what I want to say, is, I find it's very disappointing because... A lot of this is just so obvious. Why does it have to go to the Supreme Court? Why not Court of Appeals or Appellate Division or somebody resolve well, this? They, they, I, it's so obvious. Just because like the, as it went up through the process, you weren't getting the, the correct rulings, and they kept challenging it. The, the Biden administration was trying to get away with this, this regulatory murder, which what it is. They were trying to murder the coal industry. And finally, the Supreme Court well, correctly then, took then, it up. Then, Judge, why didn't they take up the case of the 17 attorney generals that filed in the court of original jurisdiction, the Supreme Court, during the election time. Why did they punt? And and, and now what you you're see is about, a bad— about the election, yes. the election case yes. that they gra- just granted certiorari on? Yes. That's not this term. That'll be the next term. No, no, no. Yes. What I'm saying is they punted— that case should have been heard. The Pennsylvania. You're talking about the Pennsylvania Correct. case? Correct. No, uh, I'm, no, I'm talking about the 17 attorney right. generals. That filed in the court of original jurisdiction, and the Supreme Court wouldn't take okay. it up. Listen, it was- we have uh, we we, we let, let's play Nelson Happy. We have uh, let's play part of it. Let's play uh, because we have Nelson Happy on the Sunday show, but he gave us a, a few minutes for today. Let's do that right now on the Supreme Court ruling. The Supreme Court has ruled today, and with us today is 
Nelson Happy. He was the dean of the law school at Regents University. Uh, and uh, uh, Mr. Happy, what the these new rulings on Supreme Court mean today? Let's review it. First was the ruling uh, about uh, uh, that the EPA doesn't have the right to create their own laws. Now talk, tell, talk to us about that. Well, it's an in line with several other major decisions the Supreme Court's handed down in the last week or so. Essentially, the Supreme Court is saying that the federal agency, the, here the EPA, is limited in what it can do uh, based on the legislation that put it into existence, in this case, the, the uh, Clean Air Act. And the Supreme Court said that a regulation that uh, was called the CPP, which was advocated by the EPA during the Obama administration, but was never put into effect because it was stayed by federal, various federal court actions. And then ultimately it was repealed during the Trump administration. And now the, uh, the EPA under uh, the present president, Joe Biden, is advocating a new restrictive we're going to hear the rest of this interview on our Sunday show, the Cats Roundtable, on between uh, 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock on our same channels. And uh, then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back uh, with uh, Mark Siegel, Dr. Mark Siegel, and there's going to be a shortage of insulin. So all you diabetics, you better don't hang up the phone. Just let's keep listening. Let's take that break. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. We have some breaking news. WABC. There could be an insulin shortage on the line with us right now. Dr. Mark Siegel, what the heck is going on? First, it was baby formula. Now, what diabetics have to worry about getting their life saving medicine? Hi, Lydia. I can't wait to meet you in person, by the way. So, yes, this has been growing, and the reason is about the same as with the baby formula shortage. It's only three companies that actually handle it, Novo Nordisk, Sanofi, and Lilly. That's it, and that's 90 to 95% of the insulin. Scott Gottlieb, when he was the FDA commissioner, fought for biosimilars, uh, alternatives, generics, but still it's not really happening, and we're ending up with exorbitant prices for insulin. Not everyone can afford a lot of out-of-pocket costs. People are rationing, and it's becoming a huge problem, bigger and bigger problem, supply line problem. And what's the latest on COVID? I saw that one expert saying that this new wave we're having is going to be the worst Omicron one yet. I mean, just uh, enough of this already. Well, I think the, I have concerns about the BA5, which is the one coming down the pike from the UK and, and Europe, because it's evading the vaccine. And even if you have natural immunity from recent infection, reinfections are occurring. I think Paxlovid is still useful. I think it's much milder than what we were dealing with and less long COVID. So I'm watching it. Uh, and we're not out of this yet, but we're in a much milder phase than we were before. I, I, I think it's I think it's. 
time to point out that the tools we have have really atrophied under this administration. There's no Operation Warp Speed. There's no paying in advance for an updated vaccine to actually target a variant. There's there's none of that. And and also waiving regulations so we can get a new vaccine. You know why we get a flu vaccine every year? Because we don't have to test it in humans all the time. We actually use ferrets for that. But with us, but with but with this situation and this administration, it's all red tape. And Dr. Now, I'm sorry, go. Uh, Dr. Siegel, this is David Patterson. You just hit on, on on something that I've been thinking about, and it's the fact that people can have uh, all the vaccines and all the boosters and still get the virus. And that's because the vaccines are really not tailored for the viruses that are out here now. So they, they almost – and when people go to that amount of trouble and then find out they got the virus anyway, even if it's just for a short period of time and even if it's not that serious – it just mars the just the the uh, feelings of millions of people that maybe they shouldn't even be listening to the medical profession or the government. Well, that's extremely well said, and they shouldn't certainly shouldn't be listening to the government, especially now that you're not the governor. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> listen to the current governor about this at all. Masks on, masks off, masks on, masks off. I mean, you know, we we need, we need Governor Patterson back. But the uh, the the issue of the medical side of this, to be totally fair, I do believe laying down some immunity, whether from prior infection or vaccine, still decreases your risk of a severe case. I think that that's still valid, but I want to point out we're using a vaccine that's two years old and we can't promote it the way we did at the beginning. It doesn't work as well as what we had at the beginning. The virus has changed. The side effects of the vaccine. Uh, Are we ready to talk about it yet? Well, I'm talking about it. You're talking about it. You had some of it, John, I know. But, you know, again, I'm still worried about the long-term effects of COVID, especially with the pre-Omicron. Omicron, much less. Long COVID and Delta. You know, there's there's side effects of this vaccine, but the vast majority of people still uh, tolerate it quite well. I, I don't think anybody should do a cover-up with that. Your point that they're waiting, you know, decades before they're releasing all the data, that's very troublesome. You're absolutely right. And, uh, uh, there are people that are being abnormally affected, blood clots, uh, hardening of the hearts, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, a lot of female issues. This yeah. I'll tell you whose heart is not hardened. John Casamitidis, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, we love you. We hope to see you at breakfast again Saturday. Uh, Phenomenal. Those breakfasts are great. Thank Thank you. you. And uh, thank you, Ed Cox, uh, 10-year chairman of uh, the uh, New York State uh, um, Republican Party, Judge Weinberg, uh, deputy, first deputy mayor. uh, I like George George Washington. George Washington. George Washington, Rudy Washington, Governor David Patterson, Lydia Serrani, Uh, God bless America. We need it. And what do we stand for? Truth, justice, and the American way.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 